So last week, as we started this new year with a new series on Wednesday night in the book of 1 John, we talked about how we're going to take it slow. That we want to, to do a slow dance, if you will, with the Word of God. We do not want to rush through it. Every Word of God is spoken by Him to refine us. And uh, we don't want to pass by any words that God has spoken to us because they all have purpose. And so we got through a whole verse last week. This week we may get through a couple more, but I think it's going to be good stuff because it's certainly been stuff that God has been speaking to me about. Overall, the book of 1 John was written by the Apostle John to a group of believers who needed to be solidified, if you will, in what they believe and why they believe it. It is because, as he says in chapter 2, verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have appeared. Folks, this was 2,000 years ago. How much more true is it today? We know from this that it is the last hour. They went out from us. Remember last week we said that, that the false doctrine, the false teaching, the misrepresentation of God, the misinformation about God did not come from outside the church. It came from within the church by those who did not have a solid foundation in the Bible. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us because if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but they went out from us to demonstrate that all of them do not belong to us. And so John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this letter to just, again, solidify these believers. He wants to build into them deep convictions that we talked about last week. He wants to give them a most certain confidence. He wants to give them full assurance because when you and I have and we walk with that kind of confidence, not only does it benefit us, but as we're going to see, it benefits everyone around us. Our brothers and sisters in Christ need to see that we are confident believers. It's going to encourage them. The world who needs Jesus needs to see that we as Christians are confident in our faith and what we believe and why we believe it. You see, that it truly is making a difference in our life and we have embraced it fully and we are confident in the God we believe in and in the word that he has given us. This is what John wants to write to these folks about. So he starts off in chapter 1, verse 1, and I want to go back to this tonight because I think, again, it builds on what we talked about last week and reinforces it. I want you to notice here, even in these first four verses, all the plural pronouns that John uses. This is what we proclaim to you. And then he goes on to say, this is what we've heard, what we saw, what we looked at, what we have touched, you see. Then he goes on to say, this life was revealed, verse 2, and we have seen and testify and announced to you this eternal life. Verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we announce to you. Verse 4, thus we are writing these things. 
Notice that John is not standing alone affirming these things, but he is part of a larger group. Folks, there's nothing that helps our confidence, builds our assurance, affirms us whenever we're not out there standing alone, speaking up for the Lord and for righteousness and and saying the same things, but we are surrounded by a group of like-minded believers who believe the same things that we do. And as even Paul says in the New Testament, with one mouth and one mind, we can glorify God. And we're in this together, and we stand alongside of each other, and we stand by each other to proclaim these truths. If you and I are out there, and, and as... We're like John the Baptist. We're, you know, one crying in the wilderness all by ourselves. That's one thing. And John certainly did it and did it well. And he did it with confidence. But there's not a lot of people like John the Baptist. Even Jesus said he was unique amongst human beings. But it helps whenever we are, are saying things and believing things and we have those around us that believe and say the same things. That's why God calls us to be part of a body. So that we're part of something bigger. And we gain encouragement from that. And we give encouragement by that. When we can stand up and say. We proclaim these things. You see. <coughs> Excuse me. Hopefully tonight. That's something that will give you encouragement. As we said last week, John is even reminding his recipients of this letter that they're tied all the way back to the very first apostles, to the very first eyewitnesses who walked and talked with Jesus. You and I are tied back to them as well. There's a continuity, there's a consistency here. And we proclaim it together, you see. God doesn't want us out there standing on our own. He wants us to be part of a group. And that's why it's important that we went back tonight and reminded ourselves of what John said. We, even though he was the Apostle John, he didn't say, I, John, am saying these things. He's saying, we testify, we announce, we proclaim. We are writing these things to you. And that's an important way to build confidence. <clears throat> You look around at our church fellowship on Sundays or Wednesdays or other times where we get together, and isn't it great to see that you have brothers and sisters in Christ who come together and you know pretty much that we believe the same things. We would proclaim the same things. We would stand up for the same things. Not that we're going to agree on everything, but hopefully the big things, yeah. Yeah, and so we don't stand alone in this world. <coughs> Excuse me, I apologize. I got the whole sinus thing going on. So, The next thing I want you to notice is the word proclaim that in the Net Bible is also translated announce in other places. Notice how often this is used. Verse 1, this is what we proclaim to you. Then in verse 2, he says, the life was revealed, we have seen and testify and announce to you. 
Same word in the Greek language, just translated differently in English. Announce and proclaim. Then if you go down to verse 3, what we have heard and seen, we announce to you, you see. Why is this word important? Because it means to speak openly about something, to publicly declare something. And there again, it's a reminder to us about how confident, how assured, how most certain God wants us to be about what we believe and why we believe it. Because you and I are not going to proclaim something. We're not going to publicly declare something. We're not going to announce something and be this public herald unless we're pretty sure about it. We talked a little bit about that at the end last week. (coughs) How the subjects that you and I feel like we have a pretty good understanding of that's something we feel comfortable conversing to others about. But if, if we're in, say, a group of people and they start holding a conversation about a topic that you and I know very little of, most of the time as a human being, we'll just clam up. We won't say too much because we don't feel comfortable. We don't feel confident joining in on that conversation because we don't really know what they're talking about or we don't know very much about the subject. We're not going to put ourselves out there. We're not going to, you know, make ourselves vulnerable by speaking up and speaking out about something that we really don't know. And so even in the fact that John here is saying, we announce, we proclaim, we testify, even in those words... He is modeling for the people that he's writing to. This is where God wants all of us to get to. Because God wants us to proclaim him. God wants us to announce him. God wants us to herald the word of life. We have been given the gospel, God's good news. And we need to be out there giving it out. But in order to do that, We need to get to a place where we are confident, assured, and certain about the things that we believe. And that way, even if we have naysayers, even if we have people who are critical, even if we have people who don't believe, it's not going to shatter us. It's not going to discourage us. Because we're so certain about what we believe that even if we are rejected, our message is rejected, We're going to just keep on sharing it. See, that's what the early church did. It didn't matter whether they threw them into prison. It didn't matter whether they threatened them. It didn't matter about anything. These men and women knew that Jesus rose from the dead. They knew who he was. They knew what he came to do. And they were so certain about it that even if they were to give their own lives, even if they were to be martyred, even if they would be thrown into prison, they weren't going to shut up about it. They were going to stop proclaiming and announcing and testifying about it and being witnesses because Jesus calls us to be witnesses. So that's why God wants us to grow and, and, and be solidified in what the Bible teaches. Not that we're going to have answers for every theological question that people give. And and again, God doesn't want us to get into debates with people about religion and about church and all of that. God wants us to do exactly with what John and the other apostles did. Simply proclaim Jesus. Simply tell people about Jesus. 
If their heart is open, it's a work of God anyway. It's not something that you and I do. It's a supernatural thing. God just wants us to give out the word of life and talk about the word of life and let God take over. And so we see that here. So in verse 1, we read, This is what we proclaim to you. What was from the beginning, and I believe that phrase refers to John was right there at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, walked with Jesus. In fact, in the context, notice he says, we heard him, we saw him, we looked at him, literally we studied him, and our, and our hands have touched him. We were first-hand eyewitnesses. We were as close as you could get to the Son of God while he was here on earth. So don't tell me, John says, I don't know what I'm talking about. I was there. I experienced it. And those of us who believe in Jesus, we can go all the way back and say, what we believe is based upon the first-hand experiences and acquaintances of these people that were with Jesus himself and saw and heard and touched. John refers to Jesus as the word of life, as the one who expresses and embodies the very life of God. And, and this life, again, as we've talked about, is a quality of life. It is the highest quality of life that only comes from God and can be sustained by God. And Jesus came to reveal that life. Notice verse 2. And the life the life that is embodied even in Jesus, the, the life that is found in Jesus. In him was life, John said, and the life was the light of men, he wrote in the Gospel of John. And John says here, this life, this quality of life was revealed. God, through Jesus being here on earth, the God-man, he made it plain, he made it clear, he made it apparent. He made it graspable. You and I as human beings can actually grasp what this quality of life is all about simply by observing Jesus. Simply by looking to Jesus. How did Jesus live here on earth? If you and I truly want to know what a quality life is like, all we have to do is study the life of Jesus. This is what John says. The quality of life that is found in God and, and offered to us, it's in Jesus. It was revealed. That's important. And John goes on to say, we saw it. It was, again, it was made clear. We reporting, we're reporting this from the original source, Jesus himself. And testify and announce to you the eternal life that was with the Father. And again, notice, and was revealed to us. We could take days, weeks, talking about this, discussing this, meditating on this. And I hope that some of you even maybe will, will do that based upon 1 John. 
Because I think it's important that we as Christians even begin to grasp this quality of life that is seen in the life of Jesus. This eternal life. And why it's also called eternal life is because this quality of life results in what is lasting, what is beyond time. When you and I are involved in what is not of God and not of eternal life and not of a quality of life that God wants to give us, it won't last. There's an end to it. It won't, it won't go beyond this life. But when you and I tap in and begin to experience this abundant life, this quality of life that, that is found in Jesus and offered to us as His followers, then the things that we do, the things that our earthly life even is involved in here, go way beyond this life. It goes all the way through eternity. It lasts. It's lasting. It, it has no time limit to it. Let me just point out a couple of just very obvious things about this quality of life that Jesus enjoyed and, and, and how it contradicts much of even what many Christians go after today. Let's just start with material possessions. While Jesus was on earth, living a quality of life, the highest quality of life that we could ever live, embodying it, expressing it, revealing it. He showed that quality of living isn't based upon material possessions because he didn't have much material possessions. He even said the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. So, Jesus did not equate abundant life or quality of life with stuff. And yet, you know, in America, even as Christians, many times we get caught up with stuff and, and somehow think that, that my quality of life is based on how much stuff I've got. But again, look at the life of Jesus. Did, did his, was his life filled with stuff and material things? No. When you look at what Jesus did with his life, what, what did he invest in? What did he spend his time doing to reveal to us the highest quality of life? Well, according to his disciples, he spent a lot of time praying and communing with his Father. He spent a lot of time investing his life in others, in showing them the Father, in revealing who God is to them in teaching them and preaching about the kingdom of God, in instructing disciples and training disciples. These are the things that Jesus spent His time doing. And John is saying, Jesus lived the highest quality of life that could ever be lived. He showed us as the God-man who came from heaven to earth to live on this earth, what it would be like to experience eternal life. It was revealed, John said. So if you and I really want to understand and grasp 
what this eternal life, this quality of life is all about, all we have to do is study the life of Jesus and follow his lead. And do the things that Jesus did. And have the priorities that Jesus had and value the same things that Jesus valued. Then you and I will begin to experience this eternal life. Notice in verse 3. What we have seen and heard we announce to you so that there's a purpose. So that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says, and here's the deal. We are confident about these things. So confident, we are announcing these things to you. We're making them known to you. Because we want you to experience this life that was found in Jesus, that we found through Jesus and through following Him. And we experience this life. And we realize that experiencing this life really comes down to fellowship. That's what it's really all about, John says. When you cut through it all, it's really pretty simple, John says. This life is really about fellowship. Now notice, he doesn't say relationship. Relationship is nice. And obviously God wants us to have a relationship with Him and a relationship with other people. But the word fellowship is even more intimate and close than relationship. And this is such a misunderstood word, even amongst Christians. It's the Greek word koinonia. It means a sharing. It means a partnership. It means a participation in things in common. It means a close connection. It goes beyond relationship. See, God isn't just satisfied with bringing us into a relationship with Him. He wants to have fellowship with us. But notice something here. I'm going to get to the fellowship with God, but notice here in order that John actually talks about fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ first. Notice that, verse 3. He says, these things we announce to you so that you may have fellowship first with us. Why does he even put that before fellowship with God? Isn't fellowship with God the priority? Well, yes. It is. But there's a couple things here that John wants to emphasize. You see, part of the part of the false doctrine that was spread amongst these people was a misrepresentation and misunderstanding of God and what God's will was for his people or those who follow him and have faith in him. The the only faith in the world that teaches that God wants to have fellowship with sinful human beings 
is the Christian faith. There is no other religion. There is no other faith. There is no other, whatever you want to call it, spiritual you know, doctrine that man has made up since he's gotten on earth that ever teaches that if there is a God, that he wants to not only have a relationship, but he wants to have fellowship with us. And then beyond that, that this God who wants to have fellowship with us wants to make sure that in our fellowship with him, that as we draw closer to him, that we draw closer to each other. And that we have fellowship with each other. That we have sharing with each other and participation and and partnership and things in common with each other. That's what you see in the book of Acts with the early church. That's one of the things that set them apart from many churches today and groups of believers is they had that. They shared life together. They did life together day in and day out. And you and I, if we are going to strive to be the people of God that God calls us to be, we have got to figure out a way, even in our modern day and age, with all of our distractions and the things that, that you know, <clears throat> clamor for our time and attention, we have got to figure out a way to spend more time together as brothers and sisters in Christ. God built us for relationships and fellowship with Him and with each other. Which is why I said again on Sunday so passionately that we are not like other churches that promote programs to make connection in a church. You won't find that in the New Testament anywhere. What you find is that God gives direction to the church to build up people. And if you and I want to be connected, we've got to be willing to get out of our comfort zone and put ourselves out there and start connecting with the people of our church. And that goes both ways. For those of us who've been here for a while and maybe, you know, even more mature Christians, we've got to reach out to, to people and, and, and invite them out and, and invite them to our homes and get to know them better and all of those kind of things. It's one of the reasons why Jim and Bonnie even you know, wanted to start this next step fellowship. And then there's other times where even if, if you're new to the church, and maybe you're even younger in the faith than someone else, it's okay for you to step up and, and invite someone else that's been here much longer out and get to know them too. It, it goes both ways. But it's something that God wants us to do. And I think one of the reasons why John wrote about fellowship with us first was because most of the time, people encounter God first through God's people. That's how we do it. We don't come to God on our own. How do we come to God? We come to God through other people who have a relationship and fellowship with God. And we learn about this God through them through listening to them, through looking at their life, through sitting down and talking to them. That's how I came to Christ. That's how I grew as a Christian. I didn't do it independently. I did it because other people invested in me and took time for me. And that's the way God wants us to do it. We don't come on our own. We don't do this on our own. We do this in community. That's what the word koinonia means. 
God says, I have come to reveal this quality of life and this quality of life can all be summarized in one thing. Fellowship. Learn to fellowship with each other. To share with one another. To partner with one another. To participate in things in common with one another. In fact, keep your finger there in 1 John. Go back with me real quick to the book of 2 Corinthians. To chapter 6. Got to lay my Bible down here to get to the... Every once in a while, the Bible pages get a little stubborn on us, don't they? They won't, they won't turn. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. This, this passage is all about fellowship, koinonia. And this is primarily about what we shouldn't have koinonia or fellowship with. He says, do not become partners with those who do not believe. Do not have fellowship, sharing, partner, because you don't have anything in common with them, right? What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial, a name that was given to Satan, which means wicked or worthless? Or what does a believer share in common with an unbeliever? And what mutual agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will live in them and will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing and I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the all-powerful Lord. He's talking there about fellowship and what we should have fellowship with, what we should really have in common with. Sad to say today, there are many at least confessing or professing Christians who have, at least they say out of their own mouth, more in common with unbelievers than they do their brothers and sisters in Christ. And my question would be, how can that be? How can that be? I mean, notice John, uh, Paul even uses the example of what, what does Jesus have in common with Satan? What does light have in common with darkness? So how can you have that much in common with people that don't even believe in the thing that should be most important to us? You see. And that's why John is saying, Learn to fellowship with those who are like-minded and those that you have things in common. That's why the Bible teaches that many times our brothers and sisters in Christ are closer to us than our family members who don't know Christ. Because we might be related to them by blood, but we're related to our brothers and sisters by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's a stronger bond than physical blood. And then back to 1 John. John says, We are announcing this to you so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What does it mean to have fellowship with God? It means to walk in close connection with God all the time, every day. 
It's not just about having a relationship with God. It's about fellowship because Jesus said, and John is saying here, if you want to experience the highest quality of life, you will learn to live your life in fellowship with God, in a close connection with God, where you and I and God, we share life together. We partner together throughout the day. We participate in things in common. Again, going back to what I said earlier, we then, our priorities are the priorities of God. The things that we value are the things that God values. That's koinonia. That's fellowship. And that's what it means to have fellowship with God. And that's what God calls us to. See, when when Christians are sharing that kind of life with God and with each other, John says a wonderful thing results. Something that we're all looking for, and many times even as Christians we're grasping for, but we can't seem to attain. John tells us how we can, verse 4. Thus we are writing these things about fellowship so that our joy Some translations, because some manuscripts had your joy, really the the meaning is the same. It didn't matter whether it was John's joy or the recipient's joy. The joy still came from what? Fellowship. See, John is making a connection here. He says, these things we're writing to you about fellowship so that your joy or our joy may be complete. So John now draws a direct line, a a direct connection between fellowship with God and with my brothers and sisters in Christ and my joy. And so John is clearly saying here, let's not beat around the bush, let's let's make this very clear, because John is very straightforward. Because again, he... He wants to solidify these people. He wants to make them confident and and build deep conviction in them so that they know what they believe and why they believe it and have, you know, no question. And John is simply saying, if you and I lack joy, if if we lack a delight and gladness that transcends earthly circumstances that the way we attain that is to stay in fellowship with God and stay in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So obviously the antithesis of that is just the opposite. When you and I are not in fellowship with God and we are not in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we will what? We will lose our joy. We will be joyless. It's one of the reasons why even David, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah, his, uh, her husband, murdered, said to God as he was repenting and, and, and uh, confessing his sin, said, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He didn't say, restore to me my salvation. Because, again, he always had a relationship with God. The relationship wasn't broken. The fellowship was broken through his sin. And because the fellowship with God was broken, he lost his joy. So when David is confessing, he says, God, I know I've lost my joy. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, Psalm 51. Because joy is tied with fellowship. 
You show me a Christian or a group of Christians that are filled with joy, and I will show you Christians that are walking in fellowship with God and fellowship with their fellow believers. You show me a Christian or a group of Christians that has lost their joy or who is joyless and who allows earthly circumstances to to affect them and to basically drive their attitude and, and all of that, and I will show you a Christian who is out of fellowship in some way or another. Now, in wrapping this up tonight, let me say this. Notice in verse 4 that, for verse four, that joy is possible, but by no means certain, as he says there. I'm writing these things, we are writing these things, so that our joy may be complete. And that's why Christians can be filled with joy or not. Because the joy is tied to our fellowship. And when we're walking in fellowship, we'll be joyful. Not walking in fellowship, won't be joyful. And John now is going to, in verse 5, starting next week, going to talk to us about how do I stay in fellowship with God? If this, if this is so important, if this is the key to my joy in life, if this is the key to experiencing eternal life, and I want to know how do I... How do I stay in fellowship? We'll get to that next week, but before we do, let me say this. It's important that we also have an understanding of joy. The Greek word for joy is the word kara, C-H-A-R-A. The Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I. S. You can set, tell very close together, right? And that's the way it's supposed to be. God, in other words, wants us to understand. If I'm to experience joy and understand joy and understand how joy comes about, I also have to understand grace. And basically, I have to learn to acknowledge God's grace and apply His grace and that allows me to be joyful. But again, I won't acknowledge grace and apply grace if I'm not in fellowship with God or my fellow believers. Because the Bible teaches, first of all, that God gives grace to the humble. And you and I are not walking in humility if we're not in fellowship with God and fellowship with our believers. We're walking in pride saying, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to be out there on my own. I don't need a fellowship with God. or I don't need a fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I got this. Then we miss out on grace. And by missing out on grace, then we also miss out on joy. The reason why Christians throughout history and even today, why you and I at times can be joyful, even when the circumstances of life are not going our way is because of grace. Because we understand, you know what, even in this bad circumstance, God is giving me the grace to deal with it and to navigate it. It's what Paul said. Whenever he asked God, God, take away this thorn in the flesh. It bothers me. It troubles me. And God says, my grace is what? Sufficient. 
So it was through Paul learning that God's grace was sufficient even when he was dealing with this affliction that he was able then to retain his joy because grace and joy always go together. No matter, that's why no matter what our earthly circumstance is, when you and I learn to tap into God's grace, that grace then leads to a joyful life in spite of all earthly circumstances. That's why James could write to Christians, count it all what? Joy when you fall into various trials. Really, James? How can I do that? Because of God's grace. Because God's grace then allows me to see that that trial is going to produce in me spiritual growth and maturity, which is what James goes on to say. And the trial of our faith produces Endurance. And so we can see it through grace. And that gives us joy that in spite of the afflictions and trials and troubles that we're going through, we understand God's using this to strengthen me and build up my spiritual life. I will be joyful in that because that's my priority. My priority isn't my comfort any longer through grace. My priority is growing to be more like Jesus and embracing and experiencing this eternal life that brings me into fellowship with God and my fellow brothers and sisters, which then results in my joy. i got to quit, folks. But I hope that, that maybe tonight you've got just a little bit of what God has given me from this passage. Because I so want you to experience what I'm experiencing as I sit there and I fellowship with God in His Word. And I see the life that He wants me, Jeff Royce, to have and the life that He wants me as the pastor of this church to to encourage you to have. Because many times, even as God followers, we're missing it. We're missing out. Because we're simply just, we're not living in fellowship like we should. And this is what Jesus taught us. He taught us how to live in fellowship with God and with one another. And he wants us to do the same. We've got to figure this out, folks. And we as a church have to continue to strive to figure this out. We've got to just, and we've got to do it without programs all the time. We've just got to start doing it, building relationships with each other. Now, I will say this. I'm not anti all programs in a local church. They have their place. They simply should not be the focus. And that's why with ministries like we have here. We encourage you to get involved. And one of the things that we're going to do here in a couple weeks, we're going to start announcing it this Sunday, is maybe some of you would really like to be in closer connection with brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. And you want to be part of a small group. We have small groups here, but most of them have already been established just organically. As people got in relationships with each other, they just sort of said, hey, let's start a small group together. And they got into a small group. But some of you have come and you go, we're not in a small group, but we would like to be. So I'm going to open it up 
and say, hey, would you pray about and and consider maybe wanting to be part of a small group so that you can have more fellowship? That's one way to do it. Not the only way. And we'll try to, as a church, help facilitate that. Again, just to get you going. We don't need to be there to see it every step of the way. That fellowship should and will take off on its own. But we can at least maybe do something to get it started. I'm okay with that. But the thing that God has burdened me about is just, we've got to do it, folks. I know we're all busy. I know our jobs demand more and more of us and, and, and all of that, but we have got to make it a priority to fellowship with God and to fellowship with each other. This is the very essence of our Christian faith. I'll leave you with this. I've run over and I apologize. One great church father who I highly respect said this about the first four verses of 1 John chapter 1. He said, if you and I can truly grasp what John wrote in those first four verses of chapter 1, we could live a successful Christian life. Just by putting into practice, just in those first four verses, what John wrote about. That, that, that is the essence of what the Christian life is all about. I hope it grabbed a hold of you as much as it's grabbed a hold of me. Let's pray. God, thank you for bringing us into fellowship with you. God, you want to share our day you want to partner with us through the day. You, you want to be there each step of the way. You want us to value the things that you value and make priority of the things that are priority with you. God, that's how we fellowship with you. And yet, God, you want us to fellowship with each other too. To live life in community, in close connection with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the way we get joy in living. And this is how we begin to see your grace operating in our life. Oh God, burden us to be more in fellowship. To be a people who hunger to be in fellowship with you and with our brothers and sisters all the time. And help us, God, to not just talk about it, but to actually do it and make it happen, God. What a way to be encouraged in the world in which we live. If we just got together with our brothers and sisters in Christ more and, and shared more of our life together, we would be strengthened. We would be encouraged. We would be comforted. We would be built up. We wouldn't feel like we're out there on our own, all by ourselves. But we would be able to echo what John said. These are the things we proclaim. These are the things we testify. These are the things that we announce to others. God, may the Oasis Church be that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Hang in there with me. We'll see you next week.